There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Listeners should refer to the disclaimer in the episode notes and at the end of this podcast. You should never invest unless you fully understand the strategy and the ideas and the concepts behind it. You're investing with a quality manager and you're looking to the medium to long term. So you may be able to find a listed investment company trading at a discount. As the saying is, if it's got a dollar's worth of assets and it's trading at less than a dollar, you're actually buying at a discount. If it was shoes on sale, I know where my wife would be shopping. Similar to that, but you've got to do your homework and understand what you're investing in, not just because it's cheap. G'day and welcome back to Equity ASA, brought to you by the Australian Shareholders Association. I'm Phil Muscatello. Joining me today is Ian Irvine, Chief Executive Officer, Listed Investment Companies and Trust Association. Hi there, Ian. G'day, Phil. LICAT represents the interests of listed investment companies, listed investment trusts and investors to protect, develop and grow the sector through advocacy and education. How long have listed invested companies been with us, Ian? Uh, LICs have been with us for close to 100 years, Phil. In another year or so, in 2023, we'll celebrate our centenary. Mm -hmm. So 100 years of helping Australians with their wealth management objectives through a listed investment company structure. And over the more recent past, the structure's evolved into including listed investment trusts or LITs. What was the first LIC? It's Whitefield. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can actually probably win a a few bob on a couple of shillings, if you like, in a pub on a Friday night talking to other investors. Some think it's Argo or Afic, but uh, it's Whitefield. They've all been around since the 20s, so they're all pretty well established. And, and Argo and Afic have been around for that long as well? Yeah, towards the end, mid to 1920, towards the end of 20s, yeah. Oh, okay. And are these products available overseas as well, or is there anything particularly Australian about them? No, no, they're available uh, in the UK in a fairly large way. In fact, that's probably where the uh, LIC structure in Australia has been emulated from, the United Kingdom, and also in the United States. In the United States, they refer to them as closed-end companies, but they're all similar in terms of their structure. And we'll probably touch on, as you go through this discussion a little bit further about what the differences are between closed and open-ended structures. Mm. So how many of them are there in Australia? Just over 100. Mm -hmm. And that fluctuates. It's moving up, moving down from time to time as uh, things change and there's some consolidation and some transitioning going on at the present time, but there's just over 100. So it seems to be that ETFs are attracting all the attention at the moment. What's the difference between an ETF and an LIC or an LIT? Well, first up, I did mention the structure, and the structure is very important. That's why I'm very keen to have these sorts of discussions so investors understand there are differences, and the differences in structure can be quite significant in terms of the outcomes that they may experience or expect. So listed investment companies and trusts are closed-end. Like all the other 2,200 companies listed on the ASX, they're closed-end. There's a certain number of shares in the case of a company or units in the case of a trust that are issued or on issue at any point in time. If they wish to raise more capital to conduct their business, they can do rights or entitlements or run share purchase plans or dividend reinvestment plans to get more capital from their investors. They do that as it's needed. An ETF or a managed fund, on the other hand, is what's referred to as an open-ended trust, and money can flow in and out. So 
they don't have a fixed number of shares or units on issue at any point in time. If there's demand from investors to invest into that ETF, then they'll purchase $10,000 worth of units and the manager will then go and buy the underlying in proportion to that $10,000. On the reverse side, if they want their money back, if they want their $10,000 back, they'll send an application to redeem their units and the manager will sell into the market. So they'll sell the underlying to realise cash to pay the investor. They're two big differences. The other significant one, that, well, there's a couple of others, but the next one would be how they're priced. Listed investment companies and trusts are priced by real investors in the market. So when you put in a trade to buy, you're talking with someone else who's trying to sell and you, you agree a price and that's crossed in the market. That's between two natural investors. An ETF actually uses a market maker, which is someone standing in between you and the manager, and the managers creating those units I referred to earlier on via a market maker. What the market maker does is they price in an ETF based on the net tangible asset value at a point in time throughout the course of the day continuously, so it's very accurate in terms of what the underlying's worth. But you are dealing, to some extent, with a black box rather than a real alternative investor. Hmm. Would it be fair to say that an ETF is like a concertina that sort of gets bigger and gets smaller depending on the number of investors in that particular structure? Yeah, not so much investors, but the numbers of units on issue. So mm. it could be the same number of investors, but buying more units. But yes, you are right. So the actual number of units increase or decrease just depending on the number of people purchasing or selling yes. them? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. At the moment, they're growing through predominantly that. So there's, there's three factors that would influence the growth of an ETF, as it does for an LIC as well. But the first is demand. But demand is met in the market on a much more straightforward basis with an ETF than with an LIC. An LIC, you actually go through that capital raising process. It's more dedicated and disciplined. Whereas an ETF, as I mentioned, you give me $10,000, I'll buy those units. So that's the first thing, demand. Secondly is performance. So again, as with an LIC, irrespective of capital, as the value of the underlying rises, so should the value of the LIC. In the case of an ETF, that's reflected in those prices being determined by the market maker. Thirdly, if the ETF or managed fund is investing overseas, currency. It may sound convoluted, but if the Aussie dollar falls and you're investing in a US fund, your value will improve. On the other hand, if you wanted to buy, you want a high Aussie dollar above the US. Been a while since we've seen that. But when that does occur, that may be an opportunity to buy. So those three factors tend to move the value of the ETFs as well as LICs. Not so much so with the capital piece because that's more disciplined. What's the difference between an LIC and an LIT? Okay, so listed investment trusts are, are exactly that. Their trust structures, the big difference between that trust and an open-ended trust, such as an ETF or a managed fund, is the closed-end nature of it. So there will be a fixed number of units available in the market at any point in time. And again, the managers of those trusts, if they need more capital, will raise capital, as I mentioned, through capital raising for rights entitlements, unit purchase plans in the case of an LIT, and so forth. Is there a difference between the tax treatment between an LIC and an LIT? Yes, there is, and that's another significant difference between the two of them. Trusts, in general, don't pay tax at the entity level, and they pass through all their income, including capital gains or offshore or whatever it is, through to the investor. That doesn't mean you don't have to pay tax. Mm. That's all worked out at tax time. So it's taxed in the hands of the investor, not in the entity. And they're referred to as distributions. On the other hand, a listed investment company, like other listed companies, can pay dividends, and those dividends can be fully franked. Now, the franking is derived from paying tax in Australia at the company level, 
paying that to the government, and that gives you a credit. Usually it's about 30%. That's the company rate. So as the end investor, the tax is being paid on your behalf by the LIC, as with BHP or Woolworths or other listed companies, and you've got credit for that tax paid. Again, at the time of doing your tax return, you work out where that credit fits. For self-managed super funds in pension phase, that's fully refundable. If you're on the top marginal tax rate, I think that's 48 cents. The difference between 30 and 48 cents you need to pay. But that's worked out in your tax. Mm. So they're quite significant differences. So what would be the different kind of uh, structures that would benefit certain investors? Which investors are better, the LIT structure better for than the LIC, for example? Nothing's better than the other. More appropriate. You, so. you, you need to get advice on which suits, but just yeah. let me just characterise some of the, the nature of the underlyings, which would be important. Firstly, again, the company structure is able to retain profit. Mm-hmm. It can retain profit and the associated franking credits, if any, with that profit. So it sits on their balance sheet and they can then distribute that in future periods. So in other words, we've just been through a couple of years of pandemic. The last one, not as bad as 2020 at the outset. But what that allowed listed investment companies to do is to go back to that stored value of those dividends that they've held on their balance sheet and maintain, and in some cases actually increase their dividend payments through a very difficult time. Very handy for self-managed super fund retirees drawing a pension. On the other hand, the listed investment trust, the newest style in terms of the assets they invest in, are investing in things like global bonds and private credit. When I say private credit, typically this was available to private and wealthy individuals. It's now been packaged up under the trust structure and allows retail investors to invest in that trust. And that trust will be actually lending money to Australian corporates. So... The underlying is loans to corporates with an interest rate and a a repayment schedule. They're very assiduous in making sure they make the right decisions and who they lend to, and therefore, you never say guaranteed, but the underlying flow of that interest payment back into the trust is relatively consistent. Some of these funds are actually paying the difference between the fees and what they receive in interest to their investors on a monthly basis. So loans, property development, bonds, government bonds and corporate bonds sort of comprise a number of those underlying. So it makes sense if there's strong sense that there's some consistency of the income to pass it straight through to the investors on a regular basis untaxed. Mm. So are LICs and LITs a more stable platform and why would that be the case? They're stable for a number of reasons in that their ability because of their closed end structure allows them to retain capital and make patient and well-measured decisions. So they can implement strategies that may take some years to come to fruition. So investors need to understand the way in. This is a structure that I'm investing in that has underlying investments that are going to take time to come to market or fruition. And they won't be faced with the need to actually sell those investments where it's taking time for them to reach the strategy, the strategic outcome, because they've got redemptions. So they don't have to sell the underlying to redeem people's requests for money. What those people, if they want to get out of their investment, they sell with another investor on the ASX through that trading platform. So too with a company. The company isn't forced to buy into rising markets if they don't think there's value there. So an ETF, as I said earlier on, if you give them some money, they'll invest that money. That's what they must do. No matter where the market is at any particular time. Yeah, they can't form an opinion Mm -hmm. on the market. Is it overvalued? Is it rising? Is it running ahead of itself? So a listed investment company manager can say, wow, this is overvalued. I won't be buying. Actually, I may be a seller. I'll take value off the table out of the portfolio and sell into the market and ironically it could be bought by that ETF. On the way down on the other side, as these things tend to happen, never say never, an ETF manager may be forced to sell the underlying into falling markets and not realise the value 
if there's a, a larger number of investors trying to redeem. Mm. Whereas, again, if the investors in a closed-end LIC or trust want to get out, they don't have to go to the manager to get their money back. They sell to another investor. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So net asset value is very important for these kind of platforms and products. What's the importance of tracking the NAV? Well, understanding the true value of the underlying is very important. It doesn't matter what the product structure is. But in the case of closed-end listed investment companies and trusts, it's the supply and demand aspect. So investors wanting to get in may push the price up above its natural value, therefore it trades at a premium. And that's because more people want to get in to get access to the underlying strategy or the basket of investments. On the other hand, if the news may not be good for that particular LIC, they may want to sell. They'll sell to other investors and the price may fall below the NTA, which means they're selling at a discount. Now, the whole thesis behind this is you should never invest unless you fully understand the strategy and the ideas and the concepts behind it. You're investing with a quality manager and you're looking to the medium to long term. So you may be able to find a listed investment company trading at a discount. As the saying is, if it's got a dollar's worth of assets and it's trading at less than a dollar, you're actually buying at a discount. If it was shoes on sale, I know where my wife would be shopping. Mm. Similar to that. But you've got to do your homework and understand what you're investing in, not just because it's cheap. There's also um, the ASX puts out a table, is it once a month, that uh, shows the NAV of all the listed yep, investment uh, companies? The ASX puts out a, a range of information about the entire yep. investment product range. You can access that on their website. So it'll have NTAs, it'll have performance, it'll have price, it'll have market cap size and trends across a range of different asset structures too, which is very important. Yeah, okay. So many investors are attracted to the low fees of ETFs. Is this a challenge to the LIC and LIT sector? No, here again, we need to make sure investors understand why is that less than, say, an LIC? In some mm. cases, the larger LICs that we talked about earlier on that have been around for some time, the Affix and the Argos, the Whitefields, they've got very low fees. We're talking you know, 0.17 as opposed to the ETF, which may be less. The big difference is, though, with an ETF tracking an index, you've got passive investing. You're following that index, rise or fall. With a, an LIC or an LIT, you are paying for active professional management by the investment manager. So their job is to make the fund grow in a prudent, conservative and well-managed way. LICs like Argo and AFIC, they're very similar. Are they tracking the index to a certain extent? I mean, how close to the index would they be? No, they try and measure themselves against benchmarks like mm -hmm. the index. Some would use accumulation indices. So an accumulation index is the combination of growth and income before franking. Mm-hmm. Actually, there is one LIC that actually adds it all together. 
Yeah. But uh, the larger guys are looking to choose the right investments to put into their fund that can do better than the benchmark which they use to benchmark their performance. So they won't hold 200 stocks such as an ETF investing in the ASX 200. They might hold a fraction of that. They may be holding 20, 25 stocks. And they look to do better than the ASX 200 accumulation index, which adds the income back into it. So they'll have a focus on mm. dividends and possibly franking. So this is a question without notice. It's just come to mind. It's, they might not necessarily, if they're holding the largest companies in the ASX 200, they mightn't necessarily own all of the banks, for example. Would Correct. that be a way of looking at it? Correct. And that's one of the things you need to look at. And they make this available on a regular basis, not on a weekly basis, but on a regular basis. So if you choose a number of LICs, make sure you're not duplicating or understand that you are. Because if you want to pick four banks, you could probably pick four different LICs and get them. They've got greater exposure to mm. one over the other. And I just might point out while we're talking about index and performances, people also may make a misunderstanding that the index is not fully franked, nor does every entity in the index pay dividends. A lot of the action is around the top 20 stocks. Mm. And if you look what's going on of late, if you invested in the top 20 stocks or an index investment on the basis of, well, they're big companies, they're the banks, they're the miners, they're the big retailers, there's a telco in there and stuff like that, yeah. I'll always be getting frank dividends. Think about buy now, pay later, coming into the index. CSL, great company, being number one in the index, but buy now, pay later funds don't pay dividends. Mm. And CSL, great company, as I say, has a very low yield. So you need to understand what's in the 20, let alone the 200, that you're investing in if you choose an index. That's where professional and active management can help pick the eyes out what's going to make the best outcome for my owners in the case of a listed investment company. Well, let's talk about the range of exposures that um, LICs and LRTs are offering investors. I mean, there, there seems to be a whole range of strategies that um, are available. Yeah, well, strategies and asset classes, they're best known for holding Australian shares, but that's fast changing. If you go back four years or so, the sector itself, so the 100 or whatever it was at the time, listed investment companies and trusts were holding, the value of the sector were representing about uh, 77% Australian equities. That's now down to 62. And whilst the sector's grown and while the Aussie equity piece is growing, there's other pieces that are growing at a faster rate. So you've got your Australian, I'll just go through the top level, Australian, global, and then what we refer to as fixed income, which includes some of those lending, private credit funds I talked about earlier on. But within each of those, you've got some small cap funds that are actually looking down the lower end of the the ASX um, 200, 300, even beyond. Using the word lower in the nicest possible down way, the, of course. Down the order, down the <laughs> down order. The order. Down <laughs> the batting order. Thank you for helping, <laughs> helping me out there. Yes, indeed. But the interesting thing is, whilst those companies themselves may not pay dividends or frank dividends, the ownership of those entities through the LIC structure, which is a company making a profit, paying tax in Australia, can actually pay an investor a dividend that's franked whilst investing in small, mid or micro cap stocks. So that's the Aussie equity piece. Global, the same sorts of things. You can go to Asia and other locations. There's some strategies that look for long, short funds in the global sense. And as I mentioned, back into fixed income. This is where the trusts dominate. They hold around about 10% of the market cap, but they're looking at things like private equity, private credit, infrastructure, and so forth. So asset classes that naturally suit to a buy and hold closed end structure. What are management fees comprised of? There are two broad structures for a listed investment company. That's what's referred to as internal, mm -hmm. internally managed. So the management committee, all the employees and everybody's doing everything, including the guys doing the mail and dropping it off and all that sort of stuff, are part of the company. So they have a balance sheet and they have a profit and loss statement. So at the end of the day, this is the profit we made that's put onto our balance sheet and that works out 
in fact, paying all of those people, for example, is the MER or the management expense ratio. That's the external one. So that could vary slightly. But in the case of those large funds, so the African Argos we keep mentioning and the Whitefields and, and the Brickworks and such, it's fairly stable. So it's usually that sub 0.2 or 1% cost that's worked out as an outcome. The other type is externally managed where the fund manager says, well, for 1%, I'll manage the portfolio and the investors will put their money in less than 1%, which is paid to the manager, plus their returns, plus their performance growth, plus their dividend, plus their franking will flow through to them. So there's two different structures. One's a known outcome, one's a calculated outcome, but as I said, the calculated outcomes are fairly consistent over time. Do any of these LICs and LITs take an active role in the management of the companies that they're investing in? Particularly the LICs. The LICs are very conscious of their obligations to their investors themselves, their own shareholders, so the AGMs, the ability to talk and meet and greet shareholders, shareholders' rights and obligations, the opportunities to elect a board of directors and the chairman and that sort of thing. And they transfer that down. They're actively involved. Initially, I'd suggest they go and try and help the companies if there's some corrections needed, rather than become aggressive. But however, they can take a stronger position on that. So yeah, they're very conscious of investor relations, both from their own perspectives as well as the entities they invest in. And I think shareholders generally are very keen to make sure that they get good corporate governance generally, and that's what a listed investment company manager seeks to do as well. So Ian, tell us about the role of LICAT and what you do for investors and for the sector and platforms. Yeah, Phil, as you mentioned at the outset, uh, LICAT or the association is all about uh, looking after the interests of listed investment companies trust as well as their investors. And we estimate there's over 700,000 retail investors who hold an interest in one or more listed investment company or listed investment trust. So we want to educate them pretty much through things like we're doing here today. So let's talk about the features, benefits and characteristics of an LIC and LIT, why they're different from other investment product structures and let people make better informed decisions. Or if they are uncertain, if we create an element of uncertainty, they should talk with a professional who can help them make an informed decision. And if people want to find out more about Lickat, how yeah. can they find you? Not surprisingly, like everyone, we have a website, lickat.com.au, L-I-C-A-T.com.au. That's where you'll find a, a raft of educational information, research reports from brokers, a full list of all listed investment companies and trusts, and a subset of our members with some links through to their website. So it's a good starting point. If you go to that focal point, you can then sort by the asset class you're interested in, find out which LICAT members are there, and go to their own website and see why they do, how they do, in the way that they do do it. Not all listed investment companies and trusts are members, but we represent about 78 to 80% of the value of the listed investment company and trust structure. So all the big names are there and part of it, so all the names you'd expect to find. Ian Irvine, thanks very much. Pleasure. Important, please remember these podcasts are produced to provide information and education and they're not designed to provide financial advice, nor are they a recommendation to buy shares in the companies featured or discussed. The Australian Shareholders Association does not endorse or favour any specific commercial product or company. Please obtain independent professional advice before investing. We value your feedback and questions. Please contact us at share at asa.asn.au if you have any suggestions for guests or specific questions you'd like answered.